Welcome to iWoofs with your hosts, Dr. Ian and Kelly Dunbar, and me, Jamie Dunbar. So what do we have this week, Kelly? This week we have Adolescent Mayhem. All of a sudden, my perfect little puppy. <laughs> dot, yeah, dot, dot. Yeah, that's kind of a blank. It's a good one to end the you know, season two with. I think the previous episode was what, uh, you know, how long does this last with my puppy? Then the puppy's just doing it right. And they always say, you know, all of a sudden, you know, with no warning, with no reason, my dog is now acting crazy. He, he won't come when called in the park. He's growling at visitors. He's growling at other dogs. He's getting in dog fights. He's peeing everywhere. He's marking. I mean, it, it's, it's a great problem. It's like, who would have expected it? Well, I mean, they don't. <laughs> That's just it. We know that in adolescence, things are going to kind of run amok. But no, I don't, I don't think people expect that. And I think that's kind of reflected in our question of the week. Uh, Jamie, do you have our, a question for us? Today? I certainly do. I like this question. Here we go. What happened to my cute little benevolent ball of fur? It's like invasion of the body snatchers. I'm back to square one in my training. If things need to be retrained in adolescence, why start training in puppyhood at all? Well, this is really important to understand. People, they just get a very strange view about socialization and training. And a lot of adolescent problems are socialization problems. They're relationships with people and with other dogs. They're becoming more scared of other dogs. They're becoming more scared of strangers but they're taking their own people for granted as they now develop um, new interests. And I've totally forgotten what we're talking about. <laughs> what? Distraction. What? Adolescent. Uh, are you an, an, an distraction is what I was just distraction. going to talk about. Oh, yeah. And they get distracted. Uh, happens yeah. again so, as they reach um, upper so, middle adulthood. age. No, no, I got my, tra- I got my train of thought back. Okay. So if we take socialization for an example, people think you socialize your puppy in puppy class. No, this is not true. Number one, your puppy should be socialized before he goes to puppy class, say at 10 or 12 weeks, he should be socialized at home. Then you take your socialized puppy to puppy class to keep him socialized so that he's still socialized when you hit adolescence. And this is when you need all the help you can get. You have to go into adolescence with a socialized dog because he's going to start desocializing very quickly. So it's not like the stuff we did in puppyhood was a waste of time. No, if you hadn't have done that, well, adolescence would be next to impossible. The, the, the only fighting chance that you've got, basically, with an adolescent dog is we took him to puppy class, we socialized him off-leash to other dogs and people, we told him to come, to sit, to lie down, you know, and all this stuff. Planted the seeds, if you will. You've got the it. Foundation. And our mission now... Mr. Phelps, should you accept, is we've now got to maintain... Phelps? That's Mission Impossible, Kelly, probably before your time. Yeah. Anyway, um, should you accept this mission, it's now to maintain these behaviors through adolescence. It's not that we're making them better. If we just maintain that recall, you have done a brilliant job. If you maintain that socialized dog, then we've done a brilliant job. But, but I think it is so important that, that you say, owners don't realize this. I mean, oh. they get a puppy and, and, and they think it's a ball of fluff. They think it's a little human in a, in a doggy suit and they forget this dog is going to do doggy things. Well, I think a lot of people really don't understand that, that 
training, basic training, uh, as you said, socialization as well, but basic training um, and, and education goes beyond one class. And people I hear all the time, well, we went to puppy class, and, you know, and, and so they feel like their training is over. They don't realize, they would never say that about a human child. They don't say, well, we went to kindergarten. I don't understand why he doesn't know how to do calculus. Yeah, and that's probably where we don't help much as dog trainers, that we have classes usually in a six-week format. And, and we've got to let them know, no, this is the first 12 weeks of your life taking this class. Ongoing. But, yeah, you know. but training goes on forever. Well, that's and, why I like that we changed our puppy class to a package so people understand there's a part one and a part two. And, and I think, yeah, the puppies coming out of it now are, are much better they, because right from the outset they realize, whoa, 12 weeks of work. And it's easing them into, well, actually, it's a lifetime of work. <laughs> Well, I, actually, it, it's two, two to three years of work. Once you've got the dog through adolescence and he's two to three years old, you're, you're, you're home and dry. And you've got going to have now a beautiful 10 years with this dog until we get geriatric dog and then things start failing again. You know, the dog does forget like me or, or get distracted. So I think let, let, let's start with one adolescent problem. Um, let's say start with dog-dog stuff. This is probably one of the hardest things to maintain through adolescence. That they go to puppy class and they let the puppy off leash. And I mean, the dog is Mr. Sociable. He's playing, you know, he's, he's raising his paw, he's falling over. And, you know, and they think, oh, how could I have problems with this dog? And then usually it's about five and a half or six months of age, the dog gets in trouble on leash, on a walk or in the dog park, and we have the first dog fight. And for many dogs, that's their last dog fight. Especially the owner of a little dog or a big dog. You know, owner of a little dog thinks, oh, wow, you know, my dog could be hurt. Owner of the big dog thinks, my dog could hurt. And so they don't allow socialization now, and, and it just goes down the well, toilet so quickly. it's an so overreaction quickly. to a basic developmental... Um Period or yeah, I, I think to be definitely an overreaction. You say to I be, think you should define dogfight because they're not really dogfight. Well, fights. precisely, I think we should be really objective. And what they hear is this most frightening, horrendous noise, and they think the dogs are trying to kill each other. But when it ends after two, three, ten seconds, both dogs are fine, and they, they don't even go to the vet clinic. And so what we've had here is a disagreement or a spat. This is not a fight where damage is done. And, and this is where we must always be objective in order to keep this dog socialized. We have to be objective and ask the question, after this fight, was any damage done? No. Well, then your dog's had, say, four fights, and you say, well, after these four fights, is any damage done? No. Then I'll tell you what, they weren't trying to kill each other. You know? And I think it's important to... to to think about the fact that if no damage was done, there probably was a lot of socialization and bite inhibition training that happened in puppyhood. Going back to the weekly question of why train the puppy at all, you know, there's this huge stuff that you put in as a puppy for bite inhibition that is going to be paying off for the rest of their life if you did it well. Oh, you, you've hit the nail on the head, Jamie. Yeah, the, the, if they hadn't gone to puppy class, an off-leash puppy class... Then the story they, could be entirely uh, different. Oh, absolutely. One fight, one dog goes to the vet clinic... That dog will never, ever, ever be off-leash playing again. That, that it, one of the hardest things to do in dog training is to put bite inhibition in a dog vis-a-vis -vis other animals, other dogs and other animals. It is possible, say, the dog is biting a person and hurting them, 
and, and, and breaking the skin, we can do bite inhibition training there because we can pat ourselves up and say, okay, dog, give us a bite. Oh, that hurt me. Oh, and we can do that. But you can't do it when the dog is harming another animal. Um, it, it would be totally unethical if people tried it, you know, patting up a little dog and letting another dog bite him. So if you haven't got bite inhibition, and this is the number one reason to go to puppy class. The number one reason to go to puppy class is so the puppies play, they, they play fight, they play bite, and they develop bite inhibition. So when they have that argument, not if they have it, when they have that argument as an adolescent, no harm is done. So after we've now had three or four fights, the owner can, can really say, I think very objectively and, 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 and with some security, well, they've had four fights, no damage is done. I, I think these are not dangerous dogs, it's squabbles. So now we can just go hell for leather to get this dog re-socialized again. Let's get out there, classical conditioning. I would not feed this dog a morsel of food unless it were out walking the dog in the presence of other That's dogs. That's probably a good idea anyway with adolescents, um, you know, to keep them on track. I think, uh, you know, I, the, the socialization and bite inhibition is a tremendous part of puppy class and puppyhood and um, something that needs to be revisited in adolescence. But even taking it uh, just from a basic training standpoint, you've got so many things that, that do kind of... Um, go awry in, in the adolescent months. I remember uh, I remember this very well from my first dog as an adult having, you know, this perfectly well-behaved dog that was so well-trained and that followed me everywhere and, you know, was just perfectly well-behaved, suddenly doing things like shooting off in the park after his other dog friend and running, uh, you know, well beyond my comfort zone and even across the street, um, totally disregarding my, my verbal requests and panic and <laughs> screaming and running and frantic and, screaming would yes. you mind please sitting now yes no i mean it was <laughs> terrifying it was terrifying but i think if you don't expect that um i mean I, I obviously i was young and still learning but and i had a lot of confidence perhaps overconfidence in his ability and um i guess what's the word um decision making <laughs> skills as a yeah. as a seven month old eight month old dog i think people need to understand a little bit more about why things go wrong and and how to kind of maybe take a step back training wise yes I, I didn't mean to sort of make fun of owners like saying oh dogs bark what a surprise or or dogs fight wow who would have expected that um because like you my first male dog took me by surprise and i was stuck with a dog that fought phoenix my second dog she was the runaway. She had it down to perfection. She could be in the yard one moment. I remember July the 4th on her birthday. The next second she's through the deer netting into the neighbor's yard down to the park where she stole a chicken off a barbecue. So, yeah, when it's your own dog, it's, it's different. But, but they I, don't have great impulse control no. at this phase, But right? I, I think what we, we have to get people to understand is, no, they don't have any at all. I mean, it got worse. Uh, yeah. And why did it yeah. get worse from puppyhood? Because what they the turned dogs? into an adolescent. And, and I think what people have to realize is when they get a puppy, he's going to do these things. He's going to pee, he's going to chew, he's going to bark. When he hits adolescence, he's going to do these things with a vengeance. He's going to develop his own interests, doggy interests. And nothing could be more important to a dog than running off to sniffer out another dog's rear end. Developmentally, or, things have changed. Yeah. You don't need the safety of following It's not the same dog. Around. You see, they're saying, oh, it's the same. It's not the same dog. This is an adolescent now. It, it's the same with, with, with people. I mean, you, you know, you, you were an adolescent once, right, Jamie? Oh, that, you know, as a baby, you were... One from angelic childhood to responsible adulthood. That's it. 
cuddly and angelic and, and went straight, as you said, to responsible adulthood. Um, it's the same with people. And, and we must expect this adolescence and be prepared for it. And so, for example, let's get back to the, the, the dogfighting thing. I saw uh, someone from my classes years ago walking down the streets. And it was a man with a Rottweiler, little puppy, about four months old. And he actually followed my advice. Every time his puppy wiggled and went up to uh, another dog or a person, he said, that's a good boy. He's a good boy then. Treat, treat, treat. And I was walking along with him and some people thought, you know, what's, what's the big deal? And he said, well, the big deal is the future. Three months time. I know what's going to happen. You know, that my dog, my male dog is not going to like other dogs. But of course, his dog did because he had classically conditioned the dog before the problem in puppyhood. You never, ever, I tell people, if you have a dog, big or little, even middle size, you never take a dog-dog greeting for granted. If you don't say, he's a good boy, and clap your hands, you have no right to get angry at the dog when, when he has arguments as an adult. Can we, can we give people some practical advice for adolescents? Yeah, I, I, I think classical conditioning up the wazoo. I, I, I would say, no, we're going to put your food in a bag, we're going outside, we're going to sit down on a park bench, and when the environment changes, and I want to do this so the dog gets used to the environment, so he will then focus on an environmental change like... Uh, a dog is approaching, a person and a dog, a child on a skateboard. And every time they approach, you say, that's a good boy. And we give him three or four bits of his dinner kibble. Or what about you know the dog that has walked past the fire hydrant every day for the past six months and then one day stops and balks and woo 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 and now is terrified of the fire hydrant. I mean, that's a very common yeah. one. Yeah, when dogs Suddenly spook, becoming fearful about of, of inanimate objects and weird... Well, or people. I mean, mm -hmm. Phoenix, my second Malamute, she's eight months old, UPS man came to the door, and out of nowhere, this most sociable dog spooked. She had a erection from nose to tail. And when you notice this, you don't ask questions. Oh, I wonder why he's doing that. You know, you solve that problem right away. And I would just sit down, but your example, by the fire hydrant. Like when we walk in Hugo, remember, in Calistoga, and he saw uh -huh. a statue, and it, it just totally spooked. You, you deal with it. <laughs> or Claude, when he so watches... What, what do you do? You just take time, you stop, you give the dog time, time. to get over it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you've got treats, brilliant. You hand feed the dog. If you haven't, then use your voice. Praise the dog when he shows a little confidence. But the most important thing is deal with it now, and give the dog time. So not to overreact, but also not to think that it's just funny and, and oh, capitalize no. this on is... that. You see that like on all the funniest home videos and stuff. Some dog is doing something terrible and going to change their view for life. And everyone's going, ah, look how funny he's laughing at the troll in the garden. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, these sort of things, sadly, you know, a dog tugging at the child's clothing or a dog that's spooking at something, uh, a dog that's chasing lights. And, and everyone just immediately laughs and thinks it's funny. And, and that really is a big part of the etiology. There's a major part of the cause there that the dog is doing it because he's getting feedback from the owner. He's getting rewarded by the owner, you know, albeit unintentional. But now that problem is getting cemented as, as a habit for the dog. So, yeah, um, don't 
treat these things as just being silly. Let's deal with it immediately. It's not funny when a dog spooks. So dealing often, like you said, it can be just sitting there. Like with the with this Hugo and the statue, we didn't expect that. You know, we certainly walked him in other places. He guess he'd never seen a little stone statue before of a human. Well, he'd never seen a nude woman so before we, either. You know. <laughs> so we sat. We stayed. We and stayed, she was so tiny. His size. <laughs> We, so we stayed there near it and let him, I mean, you know, usually there's a burst of woo-woo right. and then you get a, you know, a moment of kind of freezing and checking it out. And if the, so I, that's when you want to reinforce? And just kind of hang out there. I often go up to the object in question myself. Don't mm-hmm. force the dog to go any closer, but I'll go stand next to it or sit next to it or touch it or right. just hang out. And eventually they see it doesn't move and they get into that kind of stretching forward just wary approach yeah wary approach and they realize it's not so bad often if you catch it right away you can often nip that in the bud he did that a few times i don't know if you i told you he did that with shrubs a few times too when we went to the um chicago suburbs he has a shrub neurosis i didn't know this he did it with shrubs in my sister's neighborhood so if, if the dog uh spooks and starts barking and you um or you know, try and calm him. Do you run any risk of encouraging? Reinforcing. The... No, I wouldn't try and question. calm him. I would take the. You need to take so the time. Yep, you take the time, and eventually the dog will stop barking. Then, of course, you can say, "Oh, who's a big brave dog?" So you might have to and sit you... there for a few minutes with a barking yeah. dog. Yeah, I mean, given the choice, if the dog were really upset, no, I would soothe him, knowing that well, I may be unintentionally distance. reinforcing him for this, because I'd be classically conditioning at the same time, and that he knows this object may be pretty scary to me, but it makes makes Ian very very happy. But usually, very few things are that frightening. So right. I would say, wait, give the dog time. And when the dog calms down, when you then say, Who's a good boy? You're doing two things. You're classically conditioning and you're praising confident and bold behavior. <laughs> and there's there's a fine line there. That's almost a whole other episode at some point, I think, is, you know, I mean, it's okay. When you when you calm or reassure a dog that is afraid, you're not actually reinforcing fear. Although right. there are certain things you can do that would reinforce fear. So I think that's a whole other list of... That's not for today necessarily, but it's a good question. Um, how to reinforce fear? How to, how to, how to or fear? not reinforce <laughs> or not reinforce fear? But um, I often, like I said, I'm not even really. I mean, you, if the dog is freaking out, you mm-hmm. want to increase distance. You don't want to push them over the threshold and right. create a larger problem. It only builds distance once you have some confidence. But I, I think when you look on adolescent fears and anxieties, and, and which then can blow into aggression, it's mainly because we don't give dogs enough time to analyze the changes in the environment, which was so inconsequential to them as puppies. But now as adolescents, they become really big, and especially changes in the environment they've not been exposed to. Basically, the the biggest difference in a dog as he changed from puppy to adolescent is now that new things something slightly out of the ordinary will really spook There's now an alarm bell. I mean, there's yeah. a point when all puppies are sponges and they're meant to accept things into their... This is what the whole right. developmental period is. Yeah, know, that's what is. socialization I mean, is for. You know, there's this... Era, and every, every species has it. It's just different with... Um, I didn't hear that. It's every species has it. It's just different length of time for different species. Dogs, it happens to be about three months, right? That they're, they're really spongy yeah. and they'll accept anything. You say horses, it's like a day or something. Yeah, one one to two days. You've Pray got animals. to socialize them to everything. Human children, you get the same thing. Where babies, what is it? Right around one, one and a half, they start clinging to their parents. Well, it depends on the male other. or female. They're still doing it when they're sixty, if they're male, aren't they? <laughs> Cling, clinging to their mother. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to see um, my mum next week. I'm looking forward to it. Well, not the same. Either, yeah. So. Anyway, but, 
off topic. But the point is, you know, there, there's a point where they are open to... Every, every experience is a new experience, right? I mean, and so they have to be open to that to a certain degree. But once they, you know, for their species, there's a certain amount of time that... Um, I guess nature has determined that they should recognize everything that is safe in their environment, and now everything and else everything is they be don't recognize is in the not safe category. Which is kind of like we well, remember so. when we saw those um, wild, not wild dogs. What were they? Jackals. Mm-hmm. The jackal pups in, in South Africa oh, yes, at yes, night. Yeah. Um, you know they were um, still obviously in a relatively comfortable stage. They were still in a socialization stage because mum had left them for some hunting and it's nighttime and she, I'm sure, left them in a little hole in a den somewhere where they should stay. So they're on the cusp of this, right? They're getting bolder and braver, but they still didn't have the, the, the wherewithal to be afraid of yeah. something new. And our, our you know, vehicle came driving up on them and they all came out to meet us, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to change very quickly. It's a very dangerous normal. point yeah. in their development where they're big enough and strong enough to leave the cave when mom is gone, but when... But not fearful not enough. To run off from us. They, yeah. I, mean, I could have probably gone and touched one. We didn't, you know, but they were not afraid. They came over to us. And they're like, wow, what's going on? And they're like, you know, running around, all running amok when, you know, they clearly, I don't think their mother would have been thrilled at all. Yeah, so, so I think if we, we summarize that these changes are absolutely normal, this is what development's all about, we must give the dog time to get over it, and we must deal with it appropriately, we mustn't make it worse. If a dog is scared about something, like he's scared of your, your niece who comes to visit, or your uncle, or he's scared of a statue, or the UPS man, Balloons. you don't drag him up to it. You just give him time, wait until he's acting okay, then we praise him, hand feed him, and the dog will get over it. But, but it, it needs to be done. It, it's not something we laugh about. Mm-hmm. And Dune had a little bit of this too. He remember um, he was afraid of balloons when he was younger, and also feather dusters, and that was a little embarrassing to me. So you know we had to work on those those two odd fears. This big big dog, you know, was afraid of these two things. Um, with with him, whenever he showed any kind of spookiness, we went into our targeting game. Um, mm-hmm. No pressure, but he already knew how to target something with his nose, and was in, you know had been heavily reinforced for doing that kind of thing. So I'd put something out, let him, you know, for him to investigate at will, and then eventually, as he got more comfortable, ask him to touch it. And um, that usually kicked him mm-hmm. right out of it. He goes, oh, we're going to do yeah. that game. Another big adolescent problem, too, is the, is the running off. That obedience just goes, it goes downhill very quickly. Well, this is a safety um, issue. People have got to know this yeah. can be a dangerous time. It's not the time to increase the freedom or push the boundaries. Yeah. And this is where the puppy class was so useful that your puppy was trained off leash. And what you've got to do now as you come into adolescence is to maintain that. You need to be going to dog parks and training a dog there. You need to be training the dog at home. You need to be walking the dog off leash if possible. If not on leash, but training the dog make, to, to about turn many times, so the dog follows you. Um, if ever you see you have a problem, then you bring it back to a manageable area. That so many times they get asked questions like this: Oh, how do I control my Rhodesian Ridgeback who chases deer? Uh, three miles away at two in the morning. I mean, these impossible questions, and you've got to say, well, don't walk your dog there again until you've now mended that problem. Let's start practicing recalls in the bathroom. That's easy. Then expand it to upstairs, then the whole house, then the yard, then your yard with one other dog there. 
then your yard with two dogs, then a neighbour's yard, and, and, and then a tennis court. Stop naming scenarios. Stop naming those scenarios. <laughs> well, you have to name these scenarios because the dog has to be trained in many safe but off-leash places so that it will then work when he's off-leash in the dog but it's park. But okay, it's also okay to go to take a few steps back. Your dog is where he or she is at that moment. You, there's no point in pushing. I think people get frustrated. and If they used to, when their puppy was you know, three months old and they could get a recall from across the yard, you know, they, they want that distance. And if, they're, if in adolescence you're not there anymore... It's okay to take a step back and start. Yeah, and it won't take as long no, to train in the second no. time. I mean, I'm trying to learn Italian at the moment, and every time I pick up, pick up the textbook, I have to go back to page one. It's just it's not sinking in yet. But we don't, don't be quite as drastic with dogs, but I think the dog park is what people miss. They go to the dog park, and most people do everything wrong. They, the dog drags them there, so as a reward they let him off leash. They ignore him for 45 minutes. He has a great time because now he's yeah self-reinforcing because he's developing all these adolescent doggy problems, um, and then when they call him once, they put him on leash and take him home. So you must train the dog in the dog park, and and if you have a, a dog that's very difficult to get to come when called, then I would just take him. I would ignore him for forty-five minutes. Then when he comes up, I'd give him a bit of kibble. This is his dinner. He's going to be fed in the park tonight, and I'd walk away from him. Then I'd call him again. And tell him, go play, come here, go play, come here, go play, come here, go play. And that's what people miss, that you, you have got to take the distraction and turn it into a reward for training. And the distraction is a biggie. Playing and sniffing other dogs. When your dog's an adolescent, they are just besotted by sniffing other dogs' rear ends. So that has to be the reward for a recall. And the only way that that can work is you call the dog to you, there's a good boy. Give him a bit of kibble. You tell him, go play or go sniff. When you're walking on leash, we do the same thing. And you say, sit, say hello. And say hello, of course, means sniff the other dog. And now we start to get some, maintain the attraction there that we had in puppyhood. In puppyhood, if you, if you sort of snapped your fingers or, you know, did anything, the puppy would run up to you because you were his sun, moon and stars. But when he's an adolescent, you are not. So now I think we have to use our superior brains. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Kelly? We have to use our superior brains and to teach the dog, no, it's really cool to keep checking in on us. It, it really is. I'm always glad to see you. I never punish you when you come up. And I usually um, let you go play again. So what, what do you think is the, the number one exercise with an adolescent dog? I do think it's recall. I mean, I, I really am, I was traumatized by my early experience with Ivan. I mean, you practice recall until the cows come home in safe environments with, with you know. And then you lose it. I, mean, yeah. I think that the take-home point is that, as with any sort of training or learning, if you want to continue, you have to keep practicing. You know, like, puppyhood is great. That's where you build the foundation. But adolescence is going to be a tough time. And so anything that you want to keep at a, at a high level you have to practice whether it's recall or socialization or obedience or it gets a little worse before it ultimately gets better for, for the life of your dog yeah and I, I think also recall is, is so important because of what it says about the relationship that you call your dog if he doesn't come he's saying for whatever reason I don't want to be next to you right now and that to me is a big alarm bell so as you say Jamie we got to expect these problems before they happen and it's why we go to puppy class so that we can navigate adolescence 
really carefully. Well, I think our time's up. Yeah? It is. Yes, that's it. Sorry. Better say goodbye. 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 Goodbye, everybody. That's all for this episode of iWoofs. Thank you for listening.